and welcome back to Behind the Mask. I'm one of your co-hosts, EJ, and joining me today is T. Hello. Um, this episode is episode 20, which we're going to be calling The Masks of an Observer. Um, just a friendly reminder that anything discussed in this podcast is not to be used as a diagnosis or a replacement for conversations with your own doctors, therapists, psychologists, or medical professionals. Today, we wanted to talk about something a little different than what we've been doing, um, but kind of goes along with what... Um, we've been discussing with you know anxiety, depression, and um, even a few of the other episodes. Um, so as you notice, Lori is not with us um, today. She's actually been pretty sick. Uh, about two weeks ago or so, she was actually right after we uh, recorded our last episode, she ended up in the hospital with COVID. And it um, really hit her pretty bad. Um, and it was very tough because being a COVID positive patient, she couldn't have visitors. We couldn't go see her. Um, we were talking to her as best we could, but when you're sick, the last thing you want to do is keep texting and talking to people on the phone. And she was having a lot of breathing issues. And I honestly, I felt helpless. Like I didn't feel like I could do anything. So I did what I could, which was, you know, communicate with the groups that her and I are a part of keeping Tina posted as best we could, because, you know, sometimes one of us would get a message and the other one wouldn't. Um, you know, and, and just trying to self-care myself, you know, because it's, it's hard. It's hard to watch a friend or a family member. And we've all experienced various ways of doing that. Um, and it can really put a strain on your emotions. And, you know, we talked last week about depression and we talked a lot about anxiety, the week, the episode prior, that's a huge factor on all of that. I mean, I think about all the times where um, you know, I was taking care of my parents and even as a, you know, home care aide where I'm taking care of, you know, adult clients who have needs, um, seeing them when they're sick or down, it's just really tough because you feel helpless. Like you can only do so much. Tina, do you have anything to share or add? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100% that, that, and we don't live in the same town as Lori. And so that's a factor too, is, is how do we, how do we, um, what do we do and how do we do it? And considering the logistics of living so far away and, um, and in your case, EJ, you live, you know, a few hours, I live about an hour, hour and a half right. away, depending on traffic, but yeah, for, for you, that's even farther. So that distance is definitely a factor in that too. Mm -hmm. So it definitely yeah. becomes difficult. Yeah. Well, and, and like, I, I think I shared one day, I was like, man, cause you know, one of the things was co the being positive with COVID was what was holding me back. I, cause I wasn't sure if she was still positive for COVID. Cause you know, after she was in the hospital for a short time, um, some of the, the issues she was having began to spring up as COVID related, but not specifically COVID. So it was like COVID was causing other things to happen with Lori. We won't go into the, all the medical, like actually what happened, but it was touch and go there for a few days. Um, and I would have in a heartbeat, I would have been in the car and over there with the things we were being told, I would have been over there in a heartbeat, but, um, you know, with her, I, just, I couldn't go visit her and, you know, and I, I, I know she super appreciated the day that you went over and, um, helped just do her laundry and clean out the refrigerator to get the junk out of there that was going to go bad. Um, right. You know, just cause those were things we could do. Right. Exactly. It, it was yeah. kind of, it was kind of interesting because, um, it's, it's not like, I mean, I really didn't have a lot to do. Uh, yeah, clean out the refrigerator. And I chose to, to do up bedding and stuff like that so she could have 
clean bedding when she came home. And that was just, that was just something I, I had control of, something I could actually do. And then when I was there, I knew, I know Lori, I know she likes to have a say in things. And I knew she was missing home. She was very, very homesick. That's mm-hmm. why she put off going in for so long right. is, is she didn't want to be away from home and, and, and in the hospital, you know, right. so. And rightfully um, so, a lot of people have that. They want to stay home and, and home. And, that, and that's why home care aids, the job I do is very popular and common now. Yeah. Um, it, because so many people by your stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's where yeah. you're comfortable. Yep. That's your safe place. And Lori's worked really, really hard on setting that apartment up as her space. This is the yeah. first time she's ever had something like that. And, mm-hmm. um, and so everything in there is Lori. And yeah and reflects who she is and, and the things that she likes and loves. And so, um, so I knew she'd be missing that. So, um, and having, like I said, some, some power over something. So I got her on video chat and walked her around her place and Mm -hmm. said, okay, what do you want done with this? And what do you want done with that? I was a little concerned that it was going to overwhelm her, but she just was on cloud nine for a while. I left the video just running out in her sunroom. Cause I know that's her favorite mm-hmm. space awesome. while I was off doing things and, and whatnot. So that, that felt good to have that to be able to do and, right. uh, and drop things off for her and, yeah. and whatnot. So, right. And yeah, she, we, she called me, I think the night before they were talking, she finally got to a point where she was going to be discharged. So she called me and she's like, I need to process through some things. I need some help me on. So we talked. Um, and it was, she's like, it was the logistics. Cause unfortunately the caregiver that she had, cause she does have a caregiver, um, had to pick up a new client because we honestly were told she could be in the hospital a couple of weeks, you know? So it was, um, kind of one of those things where it's like, this isn't just going to be a couple of days, your recovery, you go home. This was, you know, cause the things that were happening were things that, you know, couldn't really be resolved at home. Um, and she needed to be monitored around the clock. So, Um, when she did finally get to a point where she was healthy enough to go home, you know, we were processing through like, how's that going to work? What, what can we do? Because without having a caregiver and eyeballs on you, because she does, you know, in her case, her, you know, the kids are in and out when they can, um, but they're got families and lives too. So it's, um, it was concerning knowing that she was going to go home without a caregiver because the other, you know, her caregiver had picked up um, a new client and, Rightfully so, you know, unfortunately in the caregiving world, as I've recently experienced, you know, um, I was out for about a month from one of my clients because they had something happen um, and they were in the hospital. And so we were like, does Lori need to go into like a skilled nursing facility while she were waiting to get a caregiver process through? Um, But she's like, nope, I'm going home. (laughs) And she was determined on that, which was her right. Um, And I so so we just kind of, you know, brainstormed some things she could do and how she could do it to make it most successful for her. Um, you know, things like, um, you know, communicating, texting. I was like, I know it, texting is going to be hard, but when you wake up, text them, text your kids, text me, you know, whatever. Um, you know, when you go to bed, let them know that you're going to bed. You know, you know, even if you talk with them throughout the day, just say goodnight to them. I said, that's going to be reassuring for them. Um, you know, because coming home. And so, you know, as an observer that it's, you know, being in that situation, I'm like, I was taking care of both my parents. So, you know, when they came home, I was aware of it because I was there and I knew what was going on, but for their, her kids who don't live with her right now, um, that's kind of a peace of mind. And I, and I think that's helping 
the kids too, you know, I can't speak for them because I haven't had a chance to talk with them directly, but I think that's definitely helping um, and keeping in touch with her, you know, myself, it's definitely giving me peace of mind because there was, I was in a funk for a couple of days, you know, it was, it was really hitting me and I was like, man, you know, this, this sucks. Cause <laughs> like I said earlier, I felt helpless and I'm like, if this is, you know, she needs to process something and talk to something on the phone. I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and you know, when we were, we were planning for today's uh, episode, mm-hmm. uh, some of the things we talked about is our previous experiences. And, and I know that being in this situation with Lori certainly brought up um, times in my life that I've had to be an, an, an observer um, yeah. sometimes from afar, like a lot farther than, than, than I am now, but also when I had the opportunity to be present mm-hmm. and, uh, couldn't, I, yeah. I just couldn't do it. And, and that walking away with the regret and guilt from that. Yeah. Um, so that really informed how I handle and how I'm handling this now for Lori is I don't ever want to feel that way again. And, uh, so yeah, I um, having something that I could do, but it wasn't. It's this is still an interesting piece. Is that I'm still learning because in talking with Lori this week and her perspective of coming back, and it was different this time than any other time. Usually, when she is recovering from things, she's she's almost as much there for you as you are for her during the recovery. And this time was different. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we'll probably, I'll probably talk about a little bit of that in a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, previously, you know, I had some, for me, I had some very close people that I couldn't be present when we knew that it was really bad. Like if it's really bad, I, I used to duck and cover. I, I couldn't do it. And uh, missed out on some really important time with with loved ones. So, uh, yeah, that's... You, you say duck and cover as you just kind of try to pretend it is not happening kind of thing? Yeah, um, I know it, I know what's going on. Like, for example, with my, my grandfather, it was probably the first time that, well, especially as an adult, because as a very young adult, and I was extremely close to my grandpa. And I did try to go in and see him. And a lot of family was there. But seeing him in that condition, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Because it wasn't how I, how I knew him. And then uh, a, a couple years ago, the same thing with my, one of my aunts who I was very, very close with. Uh, she had a brain tumor. And she was going downhill despite the treatments and stuff and uh I didn't even call her because I just couldn't I couldn't handle it and it was it was about me so yeah and that was very very difficult to do to do and I've heard a lot of stories like that you know and even in the caregiving world clients I've had you know some of them have family nearby others don't um you know, and, and many caregivers have even experienced similar things, you know, and because in my job is working for what I do, you know, once a client is no longer being cared for at home, we're, our job's done. And so it, we have to disconnect our lives from that client. 
and that that could mean you know if they go into the hospital or something and they don't come home that could mean I may never know what happens to them exactly because because like you said once they go in the hospital your job is done and but you spent all this time knowing so much about this person in the current and oftentimes get to know them for for, you know they'll tell their life stories I'm sure Mm -hmm. and then and then to suddenly be cut off as if Right. And then you don't know. You just yeah. don't know. Yeah. And as a caregiver, you know, if you're lucky enough, you know, as you know, if you if you're doing this for a job, if you're lucky enough, you know, you do like Tina said, become, you know, friends with them. You get to know that part of their life, some of their life story, you know, maybe get to know some of their family members. So you may be lucky enough to have some communication outside of that. Like the family member might call you and say, Hey, you know, this is going on or this is what our plans are. But that doesn't always happen. You know, I've talked with caregivers who just all of a sudden, like a couple of weeks after they no longer work with a client, they get the call from their boss that, you know, maybe the the client had passed away or um, is going to be put in a skilled nursing facility permanently. So. And when, and when, you know, when you're working with someone like at the level that you're working with them, you, you get, yeah, you get that history, but you also know like what appointments they have, you know, uh, when they eat, you know, when they're not eating like they're supposed to. I mean, you know, these details about them mm-hmm. that gives you a different kind of connection. Right. And so then all of a sudden you don't have access to even that information. Like, are yeah. they eating yeah. you know, they've been struggling with this. Do the doctors know this, yeah. you know, and are they being aware? Are yeah. the family members being aware? So that's this, a, Yeah. And, and, and we as caregivers are always reminded by our union and our work and stuff, you know, self-care, mental health days are important for all of us because, you know, they offer, you know, therapy and, you know, if we need counseling just for that reason, you know, cause we do connect and as healthcare providers, I'm not even saying just caregivers, but I mean like nurses, doctors, like you have to separate yourself from the patient and, you know, like make that you know, there's that, uh, the fine line, you, you've got to stay on the, the doctor or the, the healthcare provider side and not let that affect your life. And sometimes it's hard to do, like, you can't compartmentalize all that. Right. Well, and, and, and let's I mean, even, even the situation with Lori and her caregiver, you know, her, it, because her caregiver was there mm-hmm. is why Lori got the medical ser- services she needed. True. And, um, and, not just because her caregiver was there, but because her caregiver advocated for her and mm-hmm. went to the mat and said, no, you guys are going to pay attention. Not right. that the healthcare providers weren't paying attention, but they have a different perspective. And she was there right. to say, no, this isn't normal. Right. This is normal. And it's not okay. It's literally not okay. Please right. look, please look closer. Right. And because of that, Lori got the care she needed. And that's, and that's something good to remind you guys, you know, as you're listening to this, if you have a family member or a friend going through healthcare stuff, make sure they have somebody on their side, because unfortunately the medical world is not going to be on their side and you have to advocate for them if they can't advocate for themselves, because if that caregiver hadn't said, look, listen, look, see what's going on. She's not normally like this we could have had a whole different, you know, message today. Yeah. Most likely would have. Yeah. And, and for that, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the caregiver. Yes. And there's been times, even with my, 
uh, clients, I've had to say, okay, you're going to the hospital. Like, I know you don't want to, but this is needed. You need to get checked. Um, and you know, they end up in the hospital for days, um, because of something's wrong. And then, you know, then later they're like, oh man, I'm glad I did go to the hospital. Thanks for, you know, talking me into it. Cause I get it. Hospitals are not fun. Um, most of the time, everyone I've talked to is like, I never get sleep because they're in at every hour or every couple of hours in the middle of the night, there's beeping going on. There's people in the other hallway doing things. So it's not in a comfortable environment to sleep or just be aware of things. So it's not the ideal situation. Um, skilled nursing facilities are a little better in some ways because there's less people and there's a little more spread out, but still it's active. There's people, you know, going up and down the halls throughout the night. Your vitals need to get checked at certain times of the day. My dad hated living in a skilled nursing facility, but because of what he needed for care, that was unfortunately the best place for him um, after a certain amount of time. So it's tough decisions, but I, I fully believe that caregiver was a main reason why Lori got the care she needed when she needed, because she'd been in and out of the ER several times over the first week or so that she'd been sick, just mm -hmm. getting checked, getting fluids. But if then it got worse and her caregiver showed up, I think on a Monday. So it happened on a Monday and, and it was just, she'd just gone downhill over the weekend. And yeah. Well, so. I know over the weekend I talked to Lori and could see that she was not in a Lori space like it was not it was mm -hmm. yeah and um I was I was trying to talk her in and got a lot of resistance to her going to, because right. she over the weekend she is on her own and yeah. and um and so trying to manage logistics when you're uh in a bad head space because right. you're sick like she couldn't cognitively function yeah. at that point and you could see it and so I had to talk her into calling 911 when we got off the phone so that she could go get checked out and she did she mm -hmm. did a great job and managing that like you know, getting herself there calling 911 great she got away there but 911 isn't going to get you home you know right. so she had to deal with that on top of everything else and so and then having to communicate with the doctors at the emergency right. room for herself when she's not cognitively yeah. able to do that um was a challenge and so yeah that's that really speaks to the, the yeah. importance of having health care and and family who's able to be there which is another piece of monday too is it was not just her caregiver but one of her sons was with her as well yeah yeah her caregiver i think i think the way it was described to me is the caregiver had to actually reach out to the sons and say like you guys need to talk your mom to go to the hospital because she needs to go yeah. <laughs> you know and it, it took a little bit of like pulling teeth to get her to go but she finally did and and yeah. in the end she was glad she went just because of how bad it had gotten and unfortunately with covid we've heard stories of like it sneaks up on people all of a, they're fine and then all of a sudden they're not fine mm -hmm. um and we, then you know <clears throat> Right after, right after COVID started, uh, my mother-in-law got really, really sick and it wasn't COVID it had nothing to do with COVID mm. and, um, but she was going downhill really, really fast. And so they, she was living in an assisted living facility and, mm. but, uh, she'd had an, something had gone wrong. And so they rushed her to the emergency room. They called us and they said, it's not looking good. She's not going to make it now. Again, she lives in, she was placed in the same town as as Lori and so it was an hour away so my husband rushed down there with his nephew 
uh, to no, was it his nephew or I think it was a son? It was a son, and um, rushed down there to see see her uh, because they said she was dying, that she wasn't going to make it, and they wouldn't let him in because her COVID test hadn't come back yet. Oh my god! And so he had no place to stay while he was there, so he had to come back. And they said, "We'll call you if it gets worse." Well, they called him um, and said, "You know, she probably won't make it another hour." He was already back up here the next morning. And so he rushes down there. He goes to rush down there and he couldn't make it in time. And yeah. so she, she passed away. So sometimes the observing is hard and not being able to observe. Yeah. Is, is really, really hard because he didn't yeah. get that. And I, you know, I, I know there's that phrase going around FOMO fear of missing out. Um, and I, and I think a lot of that comes in too, you know, we want to be there. Like he was going down there cause he wanted to be there. And then it's like, well, what do you do? Like, you can't stay there. Like, you know, cause that's in this situation, it's fear. If you're a, you could miss that. And, you know, um, my dad's sister, um, when my dad got really sick, she's like, well, I don't know when I can get there. I can get there on this day. And she's like, I can get there on July 10th. And, uh, my, on the 1st of July, my dad had been admitted back to his skilled nursing facility on hospice. Um, and he, we both declined doing the additional treatment that could possibly prolong his life, but not make his life any better. Um, and so it was just a matter of time. I picked up my dad's sister at the airport on the 10th at like two o'clock in the afternoon. We drove over to my dad's skill nursing facility. We were there for about four and a half, five hours. We left at 6 p.m. We came back to my place to get settled for the night. And I got a call at 9.30 that night that he passed away. So had she waited one more day, she would have missed it. But mm -hmm. she got a chance to spend the last few minutes with her brother. And I got to spend some time with my dad too. Because it had been hard because I'd gone 14 months without seeing my dad physically because of COVID. His facility was not letting visitors and it was tough and I saw my dad and then he went downhill just like a week and a half after I saw him for the first time after all this drama with COVID and I'm like I'd been vaccinated for like six months and I was like dude I, like I'm vaccinated doing I, everything like, we're supposed to right and I said you guys aren't gonna let me like well I'm sorry you can't go in the building you can go sit in the in front of the window and I'm like but he doesn't have an, an out like you know, the building was set up to a way as to where anybody who was on the outside windows could see, um, you know, that like family members could go sit in front of the window. Well, my dad at the time had a room that was facing their interior uh, lot. Love. They had like a courtyard, like a big, you know, garden area. So he was facing inside the garden area. So I couldn't go in because the only way to get into the garden area was to Let's go through, through the, the building. Valley. And I'm like, I'm vaccinated and I'm a home care aide. I am a medical professional. There is no reason why I can't walk through this building. I know the policy. I know what, but no. And then when I did get to see him, I had to wear a mask and a face shield because unfortunately the skilled nursing facility my dad was in was a sister building to one of them that had a really bad outbreak. And so they were like taking extra precautions. So my last photo with my dad, with him smiling in it is with me with the face shield and the mask and all that, which I hate, but I'm grateful. I have other pictures with him, but right. But you yeah. know, that's what he was seeing. Yeah. And, yeah. and 
you know, that's, I don't know if it's an episode we would ever want to get into is the effects of mask wearing, uh, literally. Yeah, we need, we literally, literal at mask wearing and, and social distancing and the effects it has. Um, Well, you know, try to avoid to throw my right opinions in there yeah discuss like it really took a toll it did and even now as the mandates have lifted a little and we're allowed to go into certain places without masks now seeing people just walk past you with you know smiling at you as they pass you or you know it's totally different like you see it in a different light now yeah and just knowing that my dad really coherently seeing me the last time was looking like that I'm like this sucks um but even so like if I hadn't gone at all then I would have been missed out on that time yes so you know I as an observer it sucks and it's like it makes us uncomfortable but then you got to remember like where are the other people who you're observing like how uncomfortable are they right um like they don't want to be in that situation. Lori didn't want to be sick. I think she sent a picture of us one day with, um, with the nasal cannula because she was on oxygen, and she's like, "Look at my new necklace or something." I know. Like that. So she was like making light of the situation. Um, but it was still like, and then and then we're seeing that, and we're like, "Man, we can't go visit you. We can't do anything like, you know, physically for her." And Lori, right. you all know Lori and how chatty she is. So she's a very big extrovert. So for one to see her like down and not really being as extroverted as she usually is, is, is hard, but then also not being able to go there and provide the, what an extrovert like Lori likes, which is communication relationships, time to time, quality time. We couldn't do any of that, like on a physical level because of all the restrictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I- I think one of the things in talking to Lori this week since she's been home is the struggle she's having now and we're still observers to it because it's it's hard because I think for you and then for me there's aspects that aren't hard because to us it's a no-brainer and how to how to manage certain things when someone is sick or when someone is struggling um most people want to jump in and do everything for another person when they're sick. It comes from a great place in their heart. They want to, they want to be helpful. They want to be, um, they want to care for you. Um, but the person who's sick has their own type of struggle and they all can't always communicate it. So as the observers were trying to figure out the balance of like, um, how much do we help and, and how many, how much, how much, how do we know when they're when enough is enough for them right mm-hmm. especially an extrovert like Lori who yeah. usually is all about like yeah I'm going to recover the more people around me I'm going to recover faster and I'm going to be better and all of these things and right. this time wasn't like that this time was I think yeah. the first time I've ever seen Lori like this where, she, where she's at right now and yeah where she as she made some statements that were really impactful to me um that really stood out and it was <laughs> I'm going to throw myself under the bus so when I, I called her I was it was it was at the end of a day for me so I'd been in doing sessions all day mm-hmm. and so as a mental health therapist I'm looking for avoidance 
And I'm looking for, for ways, you know, how is this client putting me off so they don't have to deal with something tough? And sometimes it's okay. Sometimes I, you know, I'm just, I just let it go, but usually I call it out. And so Lori, I, you know, got on the phone with Lori. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? How you doing? She goes, just breathing, mm -hmm. just breathing. And I started laughing because it's Lori. It's, you know, what I do. I started laughing. I said, well, that's kind of funny. I said, you might want to keep in mind, Lori, that I just got done with a full day of sessions and people avoiding my questions. I uh, think I sense avoidance. And she goes, well, I just got done talking to my counselor. And he said, <laughs> he, said <laughs> he says, I get to choose how much I tell someone. Um, and, uh, mm -hmm. and if they don't hear me the first time, I'm allowed to repeat it. That's why she repeated the just breathing because I interjected something in there. Right. And I started laughing. I'm like, okay, fair enough. I said, fair enough. Thank you for, for reminding me of that. But, yeah. and then the other thing she's, she was saying uh, pretty consistently throughout the conversation is I'm not in a place to tell people how to help me just do it or don't. Yep. And coming from Lori, I mean, I think yeah, like literally my job probably dropped, dropped a little bit because yeah. It wasn't just what she said, it was how she said it. It was very firm and stern and just in this place of like, yeah. I know my limits and I'm, I'm sticking to them right now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I, I think it was one of those moments where, cause like she texts me, she's like, I'm just breathing. And <clears throat> Lori has a phrase that she says a lot, like, how are you doing? And she'll say, I'm upright and breathing. So for us, that's, that's our used to. So when she says it, it's like, okay, but then we realize, okay, what does she struggle with for the last few weeks? And it was like, okay, literally um, I, each breath. Yeah. Yeah. Each breath, you know, cause COVID is, is a, is a respiratory thing. There's a lot of, you know, can respiratory uh, complications can happen. And some of it we were noticing with Lori. So, um, you know, and then not having a caregiver and being by herself throughout most of this is, you know, so she's been having to do a lot of phone calls and trying to figure out some things and, um, I was, she's like, you know, well, how do I do this? And I said, well, set your living room up or wherever you're going to feel most comfortable to sit. I says, put your walker there, get a table, put it next to you with, you know, whatever you're going to need for the, you know, a few hours so you can avoid, or you can limit the amount of times you get up. And I said, just take it one step at a time, you know, one breath at a time, you know, and I was talking with her, I think last night, and she was saying something about the breathing. And I said, well, I says, when you're sitting at watching TV or, you know, just take a deep breath every once in a while, because I said, your lungs are a muscle. And if the muscles aren't getting used, it's just going to atrophy. And then the muscles aren't going to want to work. So the more you just keep breathing, it's going to get better on its own. And, you know, you know, just sitting around can cause other things too. So it's seeing her like processing all this, but then also the positives of seeing her actually doing some of that and seeing the results is encouraging for us that we're telling her the right things, but also encouraging that it's working for her. <clears throat> Cause for some reason, there's always those times where somebody's like, Oh, well, you could just do this and it's fine. You know, and there's always those people that want to give the advice, which is great, but is the advice actually going to be beneficial for the person you're giving it to? Um, yeah. And you know, and I think like, cause I know I was communicating cause her and I are in a couple of groups. So I was like, basically creating a text message. And then I was sending it to all these different groups and like, okay, this, you know, I'm going here, I'm going here. And, 
And that was what I could do. And so, and I said, you know, I think the last time I sent a message out was like, you know, I, I know she appreciates all the messages. She'll, I'm sure check in in the next few days as she's feeling better. And so she's been doing that recently. She's been <clears throat> checking in and thanking everybody for the encouragement and the scriptures. And, and, you know, she's like, well, how do I do this? Or how do I go home? And I said, well, what are your basic needs at home? And she goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, what are the most important things needing to be done during the week for you? I said, do you need to go to the grocery store? Yeah. I'm like, okay, well then you need to add. And I said, thankfully for her, and this is a good point, having a community around you, whether it's a church group, uh, just a small group of friends, a family, that's going to be a huge help for you. Because you can send a message out to that community and say, hey, look, I need help with grocery shopping. You know, Lori can sit on her phone and order all her groceries and have them ready to be picked up. All she has to do is say what time they're going to be picked up. So if she knows that she has somebody available at 2 p.m. to say, pick up something. She can say, okay, they're going to go pick my groceries up and they can bring them over. She has a neighbor. Her neighbor could walk and go get her mail a couple of days a week. You know, just there's just those few little things that are the most important and the rest will come. Like, you know, Tina went over that day and she did some laundry and, you know, gave her fresh bedding. So when she came home, she's got fresh, clean clothes and fresh linens. And, um, you know, that doesn't have to be done every day. Um, so having a community or just a group of friends that are willing to help you um, and asking for help, which is hard for a lot of us and Lori included and myself included. It's very hard to ask for help. But she had to because she if she... If she didn't, then then we were going to have to keep asking what she needed, which is what was driving yeah. her nuts. It's right. people asking her what she needed yeah, because that meant she had to give them an answer. Yeah. And, and then, she didn't always know. Right. And then she said, well, I don't, I just don't feel like cooking. And I said, well, I said, don't, I said, ask somebody from your small group. Cause you know, within our church body, we have small groups. I says, you've got plenty of people in your small group. I'm sure all of them would not have a hesitate to make you a casserole for a couple of nights. And I said, since she doesn't eat a large portion each meal, I says that casserole might last you four days. But I says that's four meals you don't have to come up with. Right. And she says, oh yeah. So they've started some sort of meal train. So people are bringing meals over or snacks and helping her with their groceries and mail trips. Um, and again, I feel for me, I feel bad because I'm, you know, five or plus hours away. So I can't be one of those people that does that, but I can help her with ideas. And because you, help. you know, her well enough to know just to, okay, I'm just going to do this. I'm not going to ask. Yeah, I'm just going to do exactly. it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, you know, this and is definitely a, for the record, I was able to manage my, my, um, playful side while I was there and I did not mess with her. Oh, it is my, I, <laughs> nor, normally left to my own devices that had gone in there, moved things around that I know would have driven her nuts. And then that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Normally, normally I'd be like, I, I want to put this pillowcase on inside out. <laughs> or like fluff the bed or leave it unmade. Yeah. 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 Yeah, she'd flip. <laughs> leave, a, leave a sock on the bathroom floor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> leave the lint sitting on top yeah. of the dryer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, move move something. Uh, 
to the freezer that shouldn't be there. You know, maybe a sock. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So in talking kind of all about that, so I guess <laughs> a great way to, you know, kind of segue into, so we've talked a lot about what's been going on, how we've been doing things, but how do we deal? Like, how do, how do we deal with what's going on? Because I think a lot of the questions are, you know, like I said earlier, you know, I was, it was really t- hitting me hard, like, and unexpectedly, because usually when she goes in the hospital, I'm, you know, I can handle it, you know, it, I'm communicating with people and, we, you know, we know what's going on. This was a little different than normal. Um, so how do we balance, like, being optimistic and positive with being realistic? Mm-hmm. Um. I think in the case with Lori, a a couple of things. First of all, with Lori, I just tend to be real. I I don't tend to pull any punches because she's got enough people in her life that do that for her, that, you know, try to get her to be be positive because Lori is actually one of the ones who taught me a great lesson many, many years ago is that um, one day she looked at me and she goes, I'm tired. I'm sick, but I'm tired of having to be strong. And I, I looked at her, I was like, well, what does it mean to be strong? And she goes, she goes, well, I'm tired of, of never, you know, always have the cheerful face on, the always the optimism, looking at the silver lining, all of this. Sometimes I just need to not. I was like, well, that doesn't mean you're not strong. Matter of fact, that kind of means that you are strong when you can sit in that place of how bad things really are and face it. So, you know, but she was it was hard for her to be able to say, I'm too tired to do this thing you want me to do. So that was something I had to watch her, her learn how to do. She's sporadically good at it, sporadically not. Um, But what I learned with Lori is sometimes the most effective approach was just being real, like, no, Lori, this really does suck. You know, this really is scary. I'm scared. You're scared. We're both scared. Mm -hmm. So I think in a lot of cases, our natural instinct is want is wanting to lift people up and be positive and be, you know, always the silver lining, like don't, don't get stuck in that. Cause it makes us uncomfortable when other people are in pain or suffering. Right. And so being okay to be real, yeah. um, I think is a thing that I found to be effective. And then it hit me hard this time too. Normally I'm like, like you said, okay, this is part of, unfortunately part of Lori's journey has been in and out of hospitals and, and, and uh, up and down on the health scale. I've uh, been a lot more ups lately than downs because she's been taking a lot of control back, mm-hmm. which has been really great. But this time, you're right, this time was different. I was sitting at a prayer group and I got the text messages coming in from, from her caregiver and you and, and whatnot. I think even another friend at one point. And it just hit me like I just suddenly just kind of sat there and it it hit me and I actually I broke down a bit because I just felt like this time was different. And so, um, you know, and of course, we do what we do. We, we put on a good face. We put on a good mask and we get through it. You know, I, of course, had the prayer team uh, praying for her and whatnot. But then, we you know, we left and I just kind of trying to get through the day. But my days are working with people in very traumatic places so I'm carrying that load on top of worrying about Lori on top of you know my husband's health and so that's all just sitting there and I'm trying to pretend like nothing's wrong right 
And so by Tuesday afternoon, I was like crying in between sessions. I was just breaking down. I'm like, I couldn't even tolerate the thought of another day like that. So I called my boss and said, you know, I'm going to have to take the advice I give my clients. I need to take a couple of days. I can't do this. It's not fair to my clients and it's not fair to me um, to, to be in this space right now. I'm not going to give my clients what they need. So I took a couple of mental health days. And then this week I came back and I told my clients why I was gone. I mean, I didn't give them Lori's story, but I said, look, my life hit some points where I had no control. And I thought to myself, what would I tell my clients to do? Figure out what is the one thing I do have control of. And I did it. Yeah. And that's super important. I, you know, cause I know, and even in caregiving world, like mental health days, like we were talking counseling earlier, like mental health days are important because if I, I can't be at a hundred percent, that means I can't give my clients a hundred percent and that's not fair to them because they're not at a hundred percent themselves or they wouldn't need a caregiver. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so I, I needed, you know, and I knew I was going to take one day off, um, I think last week. And then I kind of pushed it and I was like, well, I'll just kind of just veg out on the weekend and just kind of, you know, process through what's going on. But then it got to like Sunday night, Monday morning. And I'm thinking, I just mentally cannot go to work. Like I just, I was, I was done. And I, and so I, I took a mental health day this week, this past week and, you know, just process through and, you know, and what I did that day was pray. And, you know, I communicated, I think I talked with Lori for a little bit, um, just to kind of process through everything. Um, and I know that we, her and I had a conversation last week when she was in the hospital, something had happened. Oh yeah. So she'd been notified that her caregiver was finding another client. And so she was pretty upset and, um, you know, the, the caregiver, um, rightfully so, like I've been in that situation and, and, you know, needing a job, unfortunately, Lori was in the hospital, so her caregiver wasn't getting paid. So unfortunately, you know, to keep you know, your pay, you have to pick up another client, which, you know, is no fun, but is necessary. So, um, you know, there were some other situations along with that, but I was talking to Lauren. I said, well, you know, I says, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. Let's, I says, you like to put positive spins on everything. So let's put a positive spin on this. And so we kind of talked it through and we realized that, you know, her caregiver actually is planning on moving away from the area in a few months anyways. So Lori would have had to have gotten a new caregiver at that time. So maybe the blessing was that now Lori's getting it done sooner than waiting a few more months. And learning to have a backup plan. Yep. And she's working on getting a backup plan and having other people listed as caregivers. So if one is sick or unable to be there, or she's got backups already listed and ready to go. So this doesn't have to happen again, because right now we're scrambling to figure out how to get what network we have to communicate with to get this person hired so they can start working with her to get paid. And it's just a mess because it's not just one person doing all of it. It's the case manager agrees to the person, then they have to go through another program, then they have to go through this company to get this part of it hired. And it's just, it's, it's a mess. And, and, and then you're hoping that caregiver that you chose doesn't get another job. Right. Or doesn't, um, yeah, doesn't get discouraged and just give up. So prayerfully, you know, things will continue to progress as they are. Um, 
so yeah, it's, it's, you know, and so and Lori appreciated that, you know, sitting and processing and kind of putting a positive spin on it. Cause she kind of hadn't thought about that, but it's not expected. I'm like, I don't expect you to put a positive spin on it. You're in the hospital. You're feeling like crud. That's okay. And you don't have to accept the positive spin on it. You can be right. like, yeah, I, I don't really need you shining me on right now. <laughs> right. 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 But at least it's, it's having that communication and mm-hmm. some people you can safely say like I'm just not in the mood to be positive others you have to kind of they're they need a little care too like they're they're a little more sensitive yeah and so yeah and you know and I and I know you know she's like well I'm gonna have to think about that and so and and since then we've talked and she's like yes yeah, this is you know this is a blessing in disguise I'm looking at it like that and I was like, well, I said, that's one way to do it. I said, and as I was talking with her the first time about it, I was like, it's okay to be mad because yeah. <laughs> this is a bad situation. Yes. I said, it's no fun. I said, yes. you have every right to be upset. And I says, but we, let's process through that and get through that. So, and I think communication is probably a huge key on, you know, self-care communication, um, you know, taking those mental health days, communicating why you're taking a mental health day. Um, and also, being able in your own body and, and with it for others too, recognizing what's going on. Like, why am I feeling like this crud? Well, that's probably, you know, am I, is, am I depressed? Am I, is this causing me depression? Is this causing me to be on edge? Is that giving me anxiety? Like, what are these signs? Cause then you'll know, like in the future, if this happens again, like those signs like, Oh, last time this caused me some depression. So how can I resolve that? Or how can I work on it? Um, Cause sometimes you don't see it. Well, and for me, I know it was the fact that I was, I was crying without any specific thought causing me to cry. Like I was just crying and then dreading the, the feeling of dread was another big indicator and that's something I worked with my client I talked to my clients about this week is like look I, kn- I know myself well enough to know that those two things are red flags they're big red flags because they don't they're not how I am they're not the way I typically am and so they were standout things that I could see going okay yeah I could probably push through I probably could have I you know I, was, I didn't cry through my sessions I just would cry between sessions and um, usually once that door closes, the rest of the world doesn't exist except for that session in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could have, and I certainly have in the past, but at some point I would have crashed and it would have been uh, more damaging to myself and to others had I let it continue like I have in the past. Yeah. and uh usually that's when big block fights with loved ones happen <laughs> you know yeah. and so and um, yeah sometimes that was, involves those ugly cries you know that you talk about you know yeah. like they talk about in the the movies and stuff oh I ugly cried yeah it's kind of, one of those you just full-on have that breakdown yep and so but I'm grateful because I get to got to use it as an example with clients of like look yeah, yeah I'm educated <laughs> yeah I know all about mental health for you (laughs) but I have to also be aware of it for myself and this is what it looks like so when you have to do it it's okay we all have to do it yeah it's yeah exactly and it's okay for a counselor to have a counselor yeah 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 you know or or yeah just 
Yeah. Self-care. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I think, um, another thing I was thinking too is there may be some tension. I, 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 I have not experienced this, but I've heard about it where people will sometimes like three or four siblings are not there for mom and dad, or like, say you're have five siblings and only three of them show up when mom or dad's in the hospital. And then the other two don't show up. And then it's like, there's that tension within the family of like, well, you didn't show up when mom and dad were sick or you didn't do this. And, but I think it's important to recognize that sometimes the reasons why we don't show up aren't necessarily because we don't want to be there. Yeah, I got, I got real lucky on, on the two situations that stand out to me. I mean, there are other ones that I wasn't able to be there for, but the two that really stand out to me as affecting me in the way it did on my grandpa and my aunt, when my grandpa passed away, a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff were able to be there. And I, for a long, I was a very young adult. I mean, I was like maybe 20, 21. And I always was, not only did I feel bad that I let my grandpa down, I felt like I let my grandpa down and I, and I missed him, but I thought that I let my family down, that they would judge me. I'd actually shown up and had to run out. I'd run out because I couldn't do it. And um, so I carried with me that with me for a period of time, not real super long because my family was very um, attuned to that and were able to reassure me that number one, none of them judged me for it. They, they all wanted to run too. Number two, my grandpa wasn't with it enough, which is why I ran because it was hard to see him like that. He, he wasn't with it enough to notice, to know that he knew I was there at one point, but then, you know, he wouldn't, he didn't know I ran. So that helped. And then when my aunt passed and she lived in another state, but my sister had gone to see her and, um, which was really, really great and, and whatnot. But, and I felt, and I felt guilty and I felt jealous that she had got that time with my aunt and, but she was kind and she made sure I knew that my aunt had a message from me before she passed. And so my sister made sure I knew that and that my aunt understood why I couldn't be there. She, or called, she knew that I was just wired that way. And so she made sure to tell my sister a message for me. Right. Yeah. Um, my dad's mom, when she passed away, we, she was living in Minnesota and she was sick and we packed up our RV in the middle of February and drove from Washington all the way back to Minnesota in hopes to make it in time. And she talked with my dad and right before she passed away, we were like, we stopped on the, uh, North Dakota, Minnesota border to, for a rest because we were literally driving straight through. And when we stopped, my dad's like, I just feel off. And we got to my aunt's house in the, the town that they were, she was living in and my, where my grandmother was. And we found out that she'd just passed away like within, you know, about the time that we stopped. So the reason why my dad felt off is because, you know, he felt her passing away. And we were told that my other cousin, who was a lot younger than my dad, obviously, but um, 
he was kind of the same build as my dad. My grandmother was a little out of it. She actually thought my cousin was my dad. That's what happened with my grandpa. Yeah. So for my, for my grandma, she felt like she'd seen her son, you know, so she felt like it was okay to go. And I think my dad was definitely as an observer, it sucked for him not being able to see her. And it was no fun. You know, I was 13, 14 years old. So I was, you know, a, you know, young teen and, you know, it, but I don't know if he would have handled it well if he'd actually seen his mom before she passed. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, and she, there were, you know, things and it, it was nice because we were there for about a week, got to process with the family and kind of get through some things and, but it, it's tough, like it's tough to deal with. And um, I think there was a little bit of fear of missing out for my dad, you know, missing out on that moment, but I choose, I choose to remember those times, the positive times, the fun times that we had, you know, with her. Um, and I think that's another thing. It's like, if, if it comes to a point where you do end up losing a fan or a family member, you know, remember the good times. Don't, don't dwell on the negative. There's no, it doesn't get us anywhere. And right. I think that's the other thing too, is that when we are observers and even if in this case, like with Lori, we're Praise God, she didn't pass away, but that risk was there. Yeah. So to be compassionate and understanding that everybody processes that differently. Yeah. So um, if you see someone who's not doing it the way you would do it, you know, or being present the way you would be present, just to understand that that risk is there and everybody deals with that differently. And um, I don't know that there's, I mean, sure there's a wrong way to do it, obviously wrong ways to do it right. but I think generally speaking most most of the time there's not really a set wrong or right way to observe family members who are in vulnerable places or friends yeah. who are in vulnerable places uh, we have yeah. to rely on that vulnerable person to tell us what their boundaries are and they're not always able to yeah. and if they do manage to muster up the strength I want to say this if a person who is sick manages to muster up the strength to tell you what their boundaries are, respect it. Because yeah. it took a lot for them to do that. So if they're saying, look, I can't handle company right now. Yeah. I can't handle responding to texts immediately right now. Um, don't take that personally. That has nothing to do with you, the observer. That has to do with them being able to manage the strength to tell you that. Yeah. And that can be really hard. So I would also say, watch for tells that a person might be overwhelmed and not able to take care of your feelings while they're sick. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, mm -hmm. I think I channeled a little bit of it, Lori, in that, that statement. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we had a little bit of a heavy topic today, but I think it was very important to talk about. Um, definitely because we wanted to acknowledge why Lori wasn't here, but also talk because it, it's definitely a mask we can put on and there's masks we put on. And as an observer, we, we feel like sometimes we have to be the strong one. You don't have to be the strong one, um, but it's okay to compartmentalize and take your moment and take your mental health days and, be, you know, and also, you know, help those people any way you can. And if they ask you not to help them, you know, that's, that's okay too. Um, 
you know, thankfully in this situation, Lori is, you know, does need help. She's asking for help, which is good. Um, and we're hoping she'll be back on the mend enough that maybe she can join us with the next episode. Which is, you know, I'm grateful, you know, deaf prayers were definitely answered. We, we had prayer groups going all over, you know, for her and a lot of people praying for her and, you know, pulling for her. And, Absolutely. you know, she, she has a lot to live for too. You know, she's got a couple of grandchildren. She's got a couple of grandchildren on the way, um, you know, and, and her kids wanted her there for that. And so, you know, this was, that gave her encouragement to kind of keep pushing through because <clears throat> she wants to be there for that. Especially knowing what she's discussed on the podcast already about, she was told she wasn't going to live seven years past when she was diagnosed with her first liver disease. And she's well surpassed that and has yes, experienced yes. so many things that she never could have had, you know, had she just curled up in a ball back then and said, I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to die. She didn't do that. And so there's always that encouragement that, you know, things can get better. And unfortunately there are times when they, you know, unfortunately they don't. Um, and so like we were talking, you know, it's, it's okay to be realistic and it's okay to be optimistic. And sometimes you got to do both. You know? Yes. Yes. It is. It is definitely okay to do both. It is okay to sit in it for a minute. Yeah. Um, people get scared to do that because they feel like they're going to get swept away, away by it. And, and there is that, honestly, there is that risk, but not really, not really a big risk. Right. And usually if you have people around you who can catch that, say, Hey, wow, this feels like it's been a long time, or this feels like deep, I'm going to send you a lifeline. But uh, otherwise, the only way to get somewhere is to get through it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, and it's not a weakness. Right. It's not a weakness to cry. It's not a weakness to say, I'm struggling today. Yeah, true. <sighs> So just a friendly reminder, anything that discussed in this podcast is not to be used as a diagnosis or a replacement for a conversation with your own doctors, therapists, psychologists, or medical professionals. This episode is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Behind the Mask PC. And if you don't use social media, you can uh, email us at behindthemaskpc at gmail.com. Feel free to review us on Anchor, leave feedback on the platform you listen to us on, or message us through our social media or email because we'd love to hear what you think. If there's a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, feel free to message us and we'll see about making it happen. You can find EJ on Twitter and Instagram as EJ8302. And if you'd like to support this uh, podcast and keep episodes coming, you can monetarily support us by visiting anchor.fm slash behind the mask PC slash support. And on behalf of T and myself, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.